What's going on, everybody? Uh, just give us a thumbs up. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. I uh, just want to make sure I'm not talking and nobody hears what I'm saying. That'd be very, very bad. Well, 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 it is Tuesday. We got the whole week ahead of us, and I'm excited. This is a good day. Got Nathan on. I'll bring him on in a bit. I didn't want to bore him while I go through housekeeping. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to be here with you guys, family, once again. As always, where are you guys? Where are you guys hailing from? Where are you guys tuning in from? Always love to know. Good. I got thumbs up. You guys could hear me. This is great. Love it. We got um, Zach Spiro, Wretched Watchman, is in the house. And uh, thank you so much, brother. If you guys haven't gone over, check out his channel. He's got a lot of great stuff there. Um, great news. And his Telegram channel, too. Uh, Zach, throw up your Telegram channel up there, dude, so people could go get some news tidbits, prophecy news tidbits, which is really, really good. So, ladies and gentlemen, before I do anything, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, and of course, I didn't prep beforehand, as usual, um, let me get on over here, the end of days Bible conference that's going to be happening, um, here we go, there it is, ladies and gents. This is going to be happening this weekend. For those of you that have already bought your tickets, you're in for a wonderful time of fellowship. Got Pastor Tom, Pastor Billy Crone, Eric Barger, Pastor Kerry Green. They're going to be bringing some amazing messages, and you will be blessed. Now, it's sold out in person, but you could still get a virtual live stream pass. If you just go to the website, I'll go ahead and put this once again. I'll link it on the live chat right now. But you can go ahead and get the virtual pass here on uh, the website. Again, I'm going to go over there right now, ladies and gents, and put that in there. And there you go. There is the link for anybody that wants to uh, get a virtual pass. Do it by all means, and uh, you will not be disappointed. So uh, before we get started again, We've got, let me let me get a shout out over here. We've got Yvette Hawkins, Toronto, Canada. We got Buffy, Minnesota. Let's see, who else do we have? We got Fremont, Maria. We got Nebraska. Okay, Hermie. Someone said Russia. Is someone tuning in from Russia? That'd be kind of cool. I didn't see that yet, but maybe. We got uh, Melvin Child from the UK, Kentucky, Ontario. We've got, uh, yeah, Russia, Russia, Russia. Wait, I hope. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading. Somebody let me know if there's someone in there from Russia. Anyways, folks, this is a good time. I'm going to bring Nathan on pretty soon here. Um, we got the Netherlands in the house, which is great. So from all over, ladies and gents. Okay, as always, housekeeping. Here we go. Serpents and Dove site. I've been getting some subscribers there. If you want, please plug in your email, click send, and uh, you will get the newsletter. Um, and as of course, as always, all the contents here. I wanted to let everybody know that our brother, Ron, has put up a new blog post. This is a really, really good blog post. They're short. If you just click on there and you go over to the blog post, they are really, really good. This one is about true friendship. And look, I mean, seriously, how much shorter do you want him? He packs a lot and very little. So I wanted to encourage you guys, go over there, check it out, share the content with friends, family, coworkers, whoever is in need. And listen, ladies and gents, as always, if you feel led by the Lord to come alongside the ministry and help support it, you could do so right here and click the donate button. 
and it's pretty straightforward. Here are the three different methods to do uh, just that. And um, I can't tell you just how much that helps to move things forward. So, and then of course, Lambline Ministries. Nathan, you guys did a fabulous job on this new website, man. This is so, so good. Um, this video, oh, there's Eric Hoven. Just had Eric on last week. So, uh, when did you guys get this up? It's been in a, a work in progress for probably the last six months. There's actually some stuff under the hood that uh, we're still continuing to work on. But, uh, you know, every three years or so, you really should give a, it's like clothes. They go out of style. Yeah. So you try to get make it nice and fresh and continue to fine tune it. And it, it's always a work in progress. It's never over, right? Yeah, no, this is it's a wonderful, wonderful site. You guys can download their magazine or can they actually uh, get it a physical copy of it? If they would want to, You're yeah, right. yeah, just uh, go to our magazines page. Uh, you can either get the free copy, uh, which we send out uh, every two weeks, or you can sign up for I think it's twenty five dollars for a year subscription. Uh, and uh, right there, where you have it up there, is our newsletter. Yep, and uh, that's the best way to sign up for it. And once you do, you get a free copy. You can download it as soon as you sign up. Very cool. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, as always. Um, the guests that are on here today being Nathan Jones, they have, there are so many resources out there, fabulous, fabulous resources. And I just want to encourage everybody go check out, um, it's Christinprophecy.org, lamb and line ministries. You are not going to be disappointed. The amount of resources here, videos is amazing. And you guys host quite a handful. I'd have to say of conferences. Here's one right here. Um, this is in 52 days. Talk to us a bit about the Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled conference that's coming up in June. Well, I was excited to see uh, you promoting Carrie Green's conference. I was up there for the first time last fall. Oh, wonderful, nice. man. great preacher, wonderful conference. Uh, we at Lamb and Lion Ministries hold our big annual conference here in the Dallas area. Uh, we're going to have um, Tommy Nelson, Robert Jeffress, uh, David Barton, uh, our own Dr. David Reagan, and Tim Moore, and uh, I am forgetting one of them. Uh, we have another speaker. So anyway, big conference. A lot of the people like watching our TV show, Christ and Prophecy, come in. So if you can come to the Dallas area, we still have seats. We'd love to have you. If not, we will be broadcasting this uh, live streaming over our YouTube channel, which is Christ in Prophecy. And uh, of course, we hold uh, regional conferences. We just had one in Kentucky last month. And uh, we hold online conferences periodically. We'd like to pick that up and do uh, more of them. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Erwin Lutzer. There That's you go. the last. How could I forget Erwin how, Lutzer? I, know, I was going to say, how could you forget <laughs> Dr. Lutzer, man? Oh, he's a well, I mean, these are all, all pretty impressive speakers. You know, we lost a, a very impactful speaker today, teacher. Uh, Charles Stanley died today. Oh, Charles Stanley went to be with the Lord, huh? Yes. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah, definitely. I uh, Charles Stanley... My dad used to listen to Charles Stanley a lot when I was younger, a whole lot younger. And so I listen to Stanley, Charles Stanley, on the way to work oftentimes as well. So, um, you know, a lot of men are going uh, going to be with the Lord, big heavy hitters. Uh, but God is coming back soon, so they, it won't be long. I don't think it'll be long before we we get to see them once again. So it'll be it'll be amazing. I didn't know, little known fact. Now, I didn't know this. Folks, I don't know if you did, but... Um, Charles Stanley was a big avid photographer. I did not know that, and uh, he uh, he went after he retired. Retired. He really spent a whole lot of time doing photography. I guess that was kind of his second passion, and he did a whole lot of that, like really good stuff. So, 
Didn't know oh. that. Little known fact about Charles Stanley. Imagine he's now in the glory of the Lord, and praise God for that. A big, big, a lot of people up there. The church is, I always say, the church is way bigger in heaven than it is down here, 100%. You know what I mean? So, Very true. Nathan, so I got you on. I mean, we we got through. I was going to share your YouTube channel. I wanted to tell people real quick because I don't want that to get away from us. Um, you guys can go to the Christ and Prophecy YouTube channel and then click the subscribe button right there. I'm sure they would appreciate it. And I'm going to put Nathan on the spot. Dude, you subscribe to Serpents and Doves? I'm going to put you on the spot. I do. Are you, are I you do, there? absolutely, man. I have been one of your earliest subscribers. <laughs> so, ladies and gents, go over there. Again, all the resources. You guys do um, prophetic perspectives. And those are these. Are you still doing those, right? The short ones? Yeah. We do a number of series. Of course, we put our television program, Christ in Prophecy, yep. which is now in its 21st season. Uh, but the shorter ones that deal with the current events are called Prophetic Perspectives. We just put one up today with Jeff Kinley about uh, globalism rising and how the trend of all the nations the calling for a one-world order, a one-world government yeah. is uh, certainly been on the cre increase since COVID. And so we put those out. We have other series, too. We put our conferences, uh, sermons. We also have uh, the Inbox video series and, and a few others. So we like to... Make sure we keep everybody up to date what's going on and teach them about what the Lord's got. And we here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, our passion is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so we do that in so many different ways, primarily through our TV show, uh, the website you just mentioned, Pablo, at ChristinProphecy.org, our Lamb Lion app, and all sorts of different venues like Rumble, uh, YouTube, uh, his channel, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so forth and so on. Uh, we just want to get you excited about the Lord's soon return, and we share that same passion, right? Yeah, amen, we do. It was actually really cool to see you guys. If I get on over here, if you all go to his channel, and I believe it's just hischannel.com, but if you get on over there, you'll see, I'll show you guys, this is hischannel.com, um, and these are all fantastic programs that um, that they have on here. It is amazing. And uh, you guys are on here. Let me see. Where did I see you guys? Right right there. Tim Moore and Nathan Jones, front and center. Yeah. Let me see if I can show you all. Right there. So there is the Christ and Prophecy show. This is the most recent one. It was aired on April 16th. So, again, a lot of good stuff. World News Briefing is here, too. But uh, And there is Dr. Char Charles Stanley with In Touch. So we got a lot to cover, brother. You wrote a book Um Call, it was about the minor prophets. So talk to us a little bit. You're, I, I think, is it okay if I say you're working on a, a second version? Not out yet, but uh, talk to us a bit about the book, and then we're gonna jump into the minor prophets because they get they get a bad rap, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. you know they do, they do, they do. You know, it's uh, up here. I'm on the second floor of the ministry, and uh, up at the top of the stairs, there's this little three foot door. And uh, I walked past that door back and forth yet to my office and the stairs. And for many years, I walked by it, but I never looked in it. And finally, I'm like, I wonder what's in there. So, man, I opened that door and look in there. And, you know, it's it's the attic. It's it's dusty and, and neglected, and nobody really ever goes in there. And that's kind of the 12 books of the Minor Prophets yeah. at the end of the Old Testament. People treat it that way. It's it's the attic of the Bible, of the Old Testament. It's dusty, and nobody really goes in there. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, it's a treasure trove. Yep. 
of prophecies in each and every one of those 12 books. And so I, I really was like, well, I'm guilty. I'm not really into the minor. I've read through them, but never. So uh, me and a buddy of mine here, uh, Steve Howell, he's a pastor up in Kansas. And the two of us uh, just said, hey, you know, we're really going to dive into the minor prophets, particularly the faith journeys that each minor prophet took, because each of them had to deal with a, a problem that is contemporary to us. For instance, yeah. Micah had to deal with failed government, and Joel had to deal with devastating losses, and and each of them had to deal with something. And how did they grow in their faith, and what was the answer that the book gives us? So yeah. very relevant for today, not only prophetically, but in also in Christian living. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's important, I you know, having the fact that you wrote the book and you're working on a new one, I thought, you know, we need to really incorporate this into our study of Bible prophecy, not only Bible prophecy, but also, like you just mentioned, our time, the times we live in, because um, I made a note here, uh, oftentimes when we read the Old Testament, we read what, uh, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we've got Kings, we've got Chronicles, and we read of, and even Judges, even Judges, and I have to continue on the series of Judges that I was doing, but when we read through that, we see exactly this up and down that Israel did, right? They they forsook the Lord. God gave them over to their enemies. They called out to the Lord, and God delivered them. And it was just this vicious cycle. And what the minor prophets did oftentimes was they were heralding God's message, right? And oftentimes I think what makes us so think that we're any different if the Lord judged Israel for the things that they did, he's going to do the same. He is going to apply the same thing across the board, no matter who the country is, no matter who you are. And so it's important for us to realize that it's not just a matter of prophecy, whether it's past prophecies, future prophecies. It's important for us to understand also where the prophets were coming from and how applicable it was then and how applicable it is today, and especially looking at the landscape of Bible prophecy, and when we when we narrow it down on a moral perspective, boy, is it like, it? it's like taking the past, and it's the same exact thing when we put it up against the lens of what we're living through right now, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The, the minor prophets are important. They had a twofold duty as prophets. Uh, they were foretellers, and that they foretold the future. The Lord would speak to them, usually through visions, sometimes through words, and they would then give that message to whoever the Lord said their audience would be, and they would say what the future holds. But they were also foretellers, forth versus foretellers, in that as foretellers, they warned the world about God's impending judgment due to their sins, their need to repent and return to God and restore that right relationship. So we know from the book of Revelation that all prophecy has been sealed up, uh, and so when you have, after the revelation, the gift of prophecy, I would say, is gone at this time. Yeah. I think it'll come back during the tribulation. But right now we still have the forth-telling aspect. So guys like Pablo and myself who are passionate about teaching God's prophetic word, uh, know that the time is short and the Lord's returning soon. That would be the modern gift of prophecy today, the gift of forth-telling. So we get both of those though, in the minor prophets. Yeah, it's in, it's to me, it's amazing because uh, when you read the minor prophets, especially some of those, we're looking at Zechariah, you've got prophecies that were immediate prophecies, right? And then you've got future prophecies, 
And for example, the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, not destruction, but the Lord said, hey, if you're going to, whoever tries to to divide my land, to divide Jerusalem, I'm going to cut them into pieces pretty much, right? So they're future prophecies, and we could see that sprinkled out throughout some of the minor prophets as well, Joel, Zechariah, you know. Um, one thing that I wanted to do is, if you don't mind, really quick, I want to just kind of give a brief, maybe a brief uh, overview of what is meant by the minor prophets, because again, I think the, and, and let me just say this, there's nowhere in the canon that calls them minor prophets. That was something that man did, right? We said we separated them and batched them into major versus minor, right? Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're not minor because their messages were minor. The, the only reason, really, they called them minor prophets was because their books happened to be fairly short, a few yeah. chapters. Zechariah has the longest uh, one. It shouldn't really be considered a minor prophet. The major prophets would be the guys with the really long books. Yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, who also wrote Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are all considered the major prophets. So when you divide the Bible up into segments like law and history and poetry, well, you also have major prophet section and then minor prophet section. Yeah. And most people know Malachi because they're trying to get to the New Testament and there are a few pages too far back. <laughs> like, oh, Malachi, and that leads up to... Uh, Jesus, but the messages of the minor prophets were after hundreds and hundreds of the years yeah. of the Lord giving his messages to his people and then pretty much ignoring it and being rebellion against him. So when you get to the end of Malachi, there's a 400, 400 yeah. year gap where there's no messages from God until Jesus comes, or actually John the Baptist starts proclaiming Jesus is coming. That's when the prophets return. So huge gap of 400 years there. So we have, uh, let me just ask you a question. You, you mentioned the, like the, how big the book is versus how small the book is, but does that also include, um, the, the longevity, the scope of the ministry of each prophet, meaning one, some prophets had much longer span of ministry versus those that might've had a shorter span of ministry. Oh, absolutely. Like Nahum, for instance, uh, prophesied the end of Assyria. So his prophecies were pretty much focused on Assyria. Falling. Well, we don't see Assyria today. It, uh, the Babylonians wiped out that empire, and that was a long, long time ago. So, yes, yeah, some of them had prophecies that were present to their time period. But others like Zechariah, which is considered the book of, it's considered the mini book of Revelation because it has many, many prophecies that mirror the book of Revelation that are still future. Now, right. one thing to understand when you study prophecy is that the prophets were, it's called prophetic perspective, kind of why we name our short videos prophetic perspectives. But the prophecies that were given to them, the prophets would think of them as one event. That's how they're told, and that's the only way they didn't understand. Matter of fact, Daniel wanted to understand the prophecies the angel had given him, and the angel in Daniel 12 says, you're not gonna understand it, Daniel. Shut up the book. Yeah. Only at the end times will people understand this. So they didn't understand it. So when they gave a prophecy, there was often a near fulfillment and also a far fulfillment, and sometimes an even farther fulfillment. So it's like you're standing in a valley and you're looking across a mountain range, and the mountain range looks like one solid mountain, but you know that there's there's valleys in between each mountain. Right. So each event is at the top of the mountain as you look across. So some of the prophecies had near fulfillments, some had far fulfillments, 
like say uh, near and Old Testament history, right. far as in the first coming, but it with implications that went farther into say the tribulation or millennial kingdom. Yeah. So um, one thing that I want to maybe we could do is I I know that we talked about off well a little bit off the record of talking about you know past prophecies, future prophecies. But one thing that I thought maybe we could do is just kind of give a little overview if we have time of each one of these minor prophets, because what I would like is to instill that hunger and that desire for um, our family member, our online family members to go and dive deep into the minor prophets, because there is so much. They are, I mean, rich, rich with um, applicable, current applicable themes that we could apply literally to our own lives. And what I mean by that is, for example, we look at a guy like Jonah, and the Lord sent him, you know, to Nineveh. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go over there. I definitely don't want to preach Jesus to them because he knew the grace of God. We could see God's grace stamped throughout the entire minor prophets. And I think that's beautiful. And, you know, you look at a guy like Jonah and who didn't want to go. He, he went the opposite way. God brought him over there. And when he spoke, <laughs> I can't say he spoke with grace. You know what I mean? God's going to destroy you. you. Guys are going to be toast if you don't turn to him. Bye, see ya. You know, it's like quick. And so I find myself, I'll be honest, oftentimes I find myself that way when I see some of the people that are in leadership, and I say leadership. And so I could apply that to my own life too and go, man, you know, the message of Jonah, there is so much just in that book, just right there. I mean, hundreds of sermons and so much to apply Obadiah, I believe Obadiah was the shortest of the minor prophets, correct? And correct, yeah. So maybe we can kind of go through that, but talk about really quick, I see God's grace stamped throughout every single book of the minor prophets, obviously throughout all scripture and the Old Testament. I've fallen in love with the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It is, I know when we were kids, it's like, ah, oh, Sunday school, Old Testament, man, you know? But there, it is just chock full of so much wonderful information. Um, a, a lot of uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's a lot of obviously prophecy, typology. I mean, it's just rich, rich. And so, but the minor prophets talk to us a bit about God's character stamped throughout each one of these books. Okay. Uh, well, I remember a Simpsons episode from many years ago where Homer Simpsons made some comment that uh, when it came to the Bible, it always seems like God was angry. God is always angry. <laughs> and when you read the minor prophets, you get the idea that maybe God is really angry all the time, that you know he's always wrathful and he's always bothered by his people. Well, we got to remember that these books are really letters and they're love letters that God wrote to his people. Now, as fathers, we have children. We love our children, but there's times that our children misbehave. And so we have to put on the father voice, you know, and, and we have to be stern with them because yeah. we want to bring them out of their sin and back into a right relationship with others and those around them. So the minor prophet letters were God's love letters to his people saying, hey, you have strayed. You have gone into becoming evil. So in some cases, and you need to repent so that we can have that right relationship and that blessings can flow. And so when you first read each of the minor prophet books, you think, 
wow, God's really angry here. And that can be a turnoff for people reading them. Yeah. But you got to read them to the end because there's always this exhortation that begins. Well, first, God lists their sins. Hey, you guys are robbing from the poor. You know, you are stealing your neighbor's wives. You are sacrificing uh, stolen and blemished animals. And, the, you know, you are more worried about your crops than building the temple in different examples. And so yeah. God will list their sins and then say, well, you need to repent because we can't have that right relationship, that, that relationship that you're, you're my children and I'm your father so that the world can see it and want to come and know me more. Amen. And they continually failed at that because they put their own needs first, like children do. So you get to the second part of the message, and that was usually where the Lord then would explain what he would do to punish them if they continued in those sins. And if it was really extreme, it would be exile. And all the way back in Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord had told Moses and say to the Jewish, say to the people of Israel, the Hebrews, that if they continued an outright rebellion against me, Again and again and again, I'm going to exile them. And that's what we see. So the minor prophets fall in about uh, about the year 500 to about the year 750, 800. In that 300-year time span, Israel was constantly running off to the other nations, wanted to be like the other nations, wanted to do the sins of the other nations, horrible things like temple prostitution and child sacrifice to Molech and, and uh, horrible, horrible things. And the Lord would send a prophet to call them back. But the end of each minor prophet book ends with the Lord says, if you return to me, these are the types of blessings you can experience. And that's where a lot of future prophecy goes, because those blessings weren't just temporal, but went all through history to the end of end of time. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's kind of the outlines in a nutshell. So um, one thing that I want to make sure. So. The order that they are in our Bible is not chronological order, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, so yeah, they, go ahead. No, go ahead. As you're saying that, I'm going to put up a screenshot that I took. A gentleman by the name of um, Jeff Smith uh, did this. Uh, let me put it up here. It is the dates of the minor prophets, and this is the chronology. And I thought it was really, really nice to just kind of see it laid out. So go ahead as you were going to say something. Um, about the chronology. Yeah, remember the BCs go backwards. So the older ones, of course, 9th century or the 800s, all the way to the 4th and 5th centuries, which are... So you see here that you've got a time period where, hey, you're being evil. If you don't repent, the Assyrians will come for you. And sure, the Assyrians did in 722 BC. Then the, the nation of Judah, which was separate from Israel by that time. If you don't repent, the Babylonians will exile you. And they did. And then we've got, after the 70-year exile, the post-exilic period, those are the prophets who, once a remnant of, of Jews came back to Israel, they left their idolatry behind, they wanted to rebuild the nation, they wanted to have a Jewish nation once more, that's when you get Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, the sad thing is, is in that post-exilic time period, which is about 80 years or so, by the time you get to Malachi, the people, again, had fallen into... They just didn't care about the Lord. They didn't care about following him. Yeah. They just wanted him basically to leave them alone. And, and Malachi is truly tragic. And that's what the Lord did. So like I said earlier, for 400 years after Malachi, the Lord had no message for them whatsoever until John the Baptist brought the message that the king is coming. And so uh, it's they're sad and tragic. 
But there's also some wonderful point. Like uh, from most of the prophets, the people didn't repent. But in Joel and Zechariah, the people repented yeah. and the Lord showed their blessings on them. So they're very relevant because these people were like all people. Have you ever watched the uh, old Muppet movie, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan? No. I love that line where Kermit's talking to the restaurant holder and the restaurant owner says, peoples are peoples. And so peoples <laughs> are peoples. Even now and back then, they're just the same. They're just yeah. the culture and the clothing was a little different. Their yeah. problems are our problems. And so we can learn a lot from the minor prophets. Yeah, and from the Muppets. And from the, yeah, I learned a lot from Kermit over the years. <laughs> well, the old Muppets don't go watch Sesame Street now, please do not. Um, so I, I think what we could do before we actually maybe outline each one of these and starting with Obadiah, um, is to talk about, and I know you kind of briefly covered that, but the responsibility of a prophet, right? So, um, I'm just going to kind of outline them and then maybe you could talk about each one of them. So to be God's mouthpiece. And again, folks, as I'm saying these, think about our responsibility because we've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're not here to add extra revelation to the Bible. That's done. That's a sealed deal. And what God's called us to do now is to let people know the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the Lord did on the cross, what he, how he suffered for us, that he rose on the third day. We just celebrated that. And then tell people this is what's coming and share with them the Bible. So we are also God's mouthpiece. So that's number one. Talk to us about that after I read this verse. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. So Moses was a prophet, and we could see here that God commanded him, hey, I'm going to speak through you. You got to say everything that I tell you. And so talk to us a bit about that responsibility, because that's a heavy responsibility, but we see it all throughout the minor prophets. Yes. Uh, was it uh, the test of a prophet? Was Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy um, 18? 18. Thank I believe, you. I believe it was 18. Uh Yep, 18, yes. 20 to 22. Yes, and uh, so they're wondering, how do we know if a prophet is true or not? It says, uh, uh, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. If he's saying, how should we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken the prophet is spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So what the Lord is saying here is, hey, you want to know how they, you can tell a prophet's true? They got to be 100% correct. If they're even a little off, then they're a false prophet and they're not speaking my name. Modern examples is Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormons back in 1830s. Yep. You know, he made many prophecies about building temples and and about different people groups and different battles and and he was wrong. He lied clearly all the time. He's a false prophet, and there shouldn't be anybody if they follow Deuteronomy 18, who's a Mormon today. Likewise, in the Old Testament, we read about many false prophets, like Balaam, for instance, and uh, how he was ordered to go and give a false prophecy against the Jewish people, but God forced him to give a true prophecy. <laughs> so uh, that's how we can tell that a prophet has to be 100% right. Now, you hear today, 
the people will say, well, you know, like uh, Hal Lindsey's a false prophet because he said in the 1980s he thought the Lord was coming back. Yeah. Well, that's that's not a false prophet. He's not prophesying a date or a time. Harold Camping yeah, that's right. was a false prophet. He prophesied three times dates and the Lord didn't come back. But if you're saying, hey, I'm looking at the Bible and I'm seeing certain trends that the Lord wants us to know, like in, from Luke 21 and Matthew 24, for instance, then we know the Lord wants us to understand the times we're living in. That's not false prophets if you think, hey, the Lord's coming back in my lifetime. Correct. It's when you make a prophecy and say, and you hear this a lot, especially in the charismatic movement, God told me, blah, 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 and this is going to happen. Uh, I think especially during um, the last election cycle, I don't know how many times they kept calling him Cyrus Trump. Yeah. Cyrus Trump, he's the new Cyrus, and, and he's going to overturn the election and take his place rightfully so, and he's going to win the second term, and and blah, blah, blah. And like, well, are you saying it in your own mind? Or are you saying the Lord told you? Some of them said the Lord told you. Yeah. Those are false prophets. Yeah, I really, so we can tell no, no, because no, go of ahead. that. Go ahead. No, I, I, I remember as you were talking, uh, I was, this was right before, um, you know, the election. We had, uh, what's his, the, the guy from the 700 Club, Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson mm -hmm. was one, I remember that said the Lord showed me because i heard that too the lord showed me you know lord told me that you know trump was gonna win by a landslide and then when things didn't go so good it was like eh, let me change my tune hold on real quick so and we've seen that all throughout history i think there was a book written uh in uh 88 reasons why the lord's gonna return in 1988 right and so why is in that i think there and then he wrote a sequel to it 89 reasons why the Lord will return in 1989. <laughs> and it, it didn't sell too good in 1990, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't sell a single one. <laughs> so I'm telling you, it's important, though. This is where we need to exercise discernment, because I always go back, Matthew 24, 4. The first thing that Jesus said was, take heed that no one deceives you. And unfortunately, we live in an era of vast deception on multiple levels, right? Whether it's political deception, whether it's on the economic deception, whether it's on the moral deception, religious deception, and we can just kind of go down the line. But we're living in that day and age. So it's really important for us to exercise discernment. And the only way we could do that is via the Holy Spirit that dwells within us or not or and through the Word of God that we have right in front of us. So um, one thing that I want to say also, number two, so they, they spoke the words that God gave them. I know they were God's mouthpieces assigned, right? God chose them, handpicked them. But the other thing that I see in, and not just the major, but also the minor prophets, we could apply the same thing, is that they spoke the words that God gave them. So for example, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm sure many of you guys know this verse. It says, Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. And so Jeremiah went on to have a massive ministry. And I'll be honest with you guys, one thing that I want you to talk about, if you don't mind, is, and oftentimes as we're talking about the minor prophets, right? God's mouthpiece. They speak what the Lord, um, the words that God gave them. Uh, they, like you said, they were forth tellers, right? They were prophets. And uh, 
But at the same time, one thing that we oftentimes um, don't study as much either, or maybe not pay much attention, whether it's the major prophets or the minor prophets, is the amount of persecution, ridicule, opposition that they had to endure. And I think that's a very, very important point that we need to understand when we're studying scripture, because, you know, you said people are people and Satan is out. He hates Christians. He hates anything related to God. And he's going to persecute anybody that is God's mouthpiece. Talk to us a bit about that, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, first, uh, bear in mind that there's kind of three categories of prophets. You've got the writing prophets, which the major and minor prophets, we, we they wrote down their prophecies. We're reading them today. Yep. Uh, you had this just speaking prophets who proclaimed God's word, but didn't write anything down, like Elijah and Elisha, for instance. And then you had what's called the acting prophets. Uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're, they're good examples. Hosea, where their lives became a symbol and a message. For instance, uh, I, I love the book of Hosea because the, the Lord told Hosea, go and marry yep. a, a wayward woman, a woman you can't trust, uh, maybe even a prostitute. You know, yeah. Go and marry her. And he's like, well, I'm kind of a holy guy, but okay, if that's what you want me to do. And the example was that Hosea, who lived for the Lord, represented the Lord, and his wayward wife represented Israel, yep. who was constantly betraying the Lord's spiritual adultery. And this wife, Gomer, would keep going out and cheating on him, and of his three children, two might have not even been his, until eventually her lifestyle caused her to, uh, back in the day, you, you didn't declare bankruptcy, you were sold into slavery. Right. So Gomer sold into slavery, and the Lord says, Hosea, go and buy your wife out of slavery. Yep. And so Hosea does. He goes in and he, he pays the price for a slave and he buys her back and makes the agreement. Okay, you are now mine, not just my wife, but you're now also my property. You will be faithful to me. And Hosea's whole life, that whole exam, all the grief and agony that Hosea had to go through was meant to show Israel the relationship between God and them, to get them again to repent and return to him. That's but right. you're right, a lot of them, the messages weren't well received, especially Amos. I mean, Amos was dragged out of town. Yep. Most people don't want to hear God's message. They don't want to repent. And that uh, strikes me as uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I love that chapter there. That's it awesome. says, um, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And this is where most of the prophets fell in here. Uh, verse 35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, so they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two, yep. were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted in torment, of whom the world was not worthy. Yeah, it's, it's um, when I read, and I think historically, the one that was sawed in two, was that Isaiah? I believe it was Isaiah, right? 
I think I'd have to look it up. I think you're right, but I think I, it was I have, Isaiah. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, and and I mean, think about it. You you serve the entire time. You say what the Lord tells you to say, and then you know, for example, in Isaiah's case, you get sawed in half. Peter didn't want to die the way that Jesus died. So historically, our understanding is that he was crucified upside down. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the only one that escaped martyrdom was John, as far as my understanding is, right? Because God had a purpose for him. He had to write the book of Revelation, had to get him on the island of Patmos. And that's where we get, you know, the unveiling of Apocalypsis, which is, you know, the book of Revelation that that we have. So this wasn't these these ministries, these prophets that were appointed and given these ministries, they were not easy. They were not popular yet. Everything that the Lord had them speak came to pass. And some of them, if we if we read that the prophecies that they speak, for example, Obadiah, that was against um the was it the Edomites, right? I believe. Let me see. Obadiah was Edomites. That was the descendants of Esau. So, for example, we look at that, that that happened 100% exactly as the Lord said it was going to happen. And so when we look at God's batting um, average, you know what I mean? In the past prophecies that have come to pass, you know 100% that if the Lord said this is going to happen in the future, as we read oftentimes in the minor prophets, it is going to happen just as the Lord said in Scripture. And that's why it's so important for us to have a balanced diet of the entire Bible. I know that there are some of us that go, well, I like the New Testament, and I stick here. But I'm telling you, when you dig deep into the Old Testament, it it really shows so much, and it there is just this beautiful—how could I say it? It's just an amazing book that even shows of the coming, obviously, of Jesus. We read about the suffering Messiah in Isaiah— we, read, we have the Messianic Psalms all throughout the, the book of Psalms. I mean, we have words of comfort. We have words of, of a relationship between a man and a woman when you read uh, the book of uh, Solomon wrote the book Song of Psalm, a Song of Solomon, right? Is that is that the book, right, where he talks about his or Song of Songs, yeah. Or Song of right. Songs, thank you. So it's just, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh I love the, again, I love the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. And you cannot have the Old Testament without the minor prophets. And the thing is, the way I see the minor prophets, think about it as cliff notes. They're like the cliff notes version of, you know, the major prophets, because essentially they were saying the same thing. And here's what gets me, and I want to hear your take on this. How many times does the Lord have to rescue us? How many times does the Lord have to tell us, if you go down that road, it is not going to bode well for you. My son, my daughter, don't do this thing. Yet so often, I guess that's one thing, one of the reasons why I could relate so much to the Old Testament because I see me in it. I see fallen humanity in it. I see a straying from the Lord. You know, you just um, talked about Gomer and as as a type of Israel, right? This is a real-life picture. God and his bride is Israel. Jesus, his bride, is the church. But dude, it's like we could literally lay those, overlay God in Israel, Jesus in the church, and the relationship and the falling away. We are living, we are living in the day and age 
where we see exactly what Israel did, where they played the harlot, as oftentimes we read in the Old Testament, we're seeing the church do that today, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Well, that's why when I wrote this book uh, with uh, Steve Howell, in each chapter, we ended with faith lessons. So there were certainly lessons for each prophet was trying to convey to them, both ancient Israel and today. So we have faith lessons for Israel. Then what are the lessons that he's trying to teach to the nations, both the ancient nations and today? So we have faith lessons for the nations. Then how does that apply to the church? Because every one of these, like you said, Pablo, or every one of these books is applicable to the church today. And of course, lessons for each of us. What kind of faith lessons can we learn? And then with the second edition that I'm working on, uh, what we're going to do is at the end of each chapter, have a complete list of the prophecies that can be found and what their status is. Were they fulfilled in the Old Testament history? Will they be fulfilled in the Jesus' first coming, uh, tribulation, second coming, and all? For example, you you had mentioned uh, uh, fulfilled prophecies. So take the book of Hosea, the first of the minor prophets. It's a book that has 197 verses in it. You can find 34 distinct prophecies in the book of Hosea. There, that means 96 of the 197 verses are prophecy. That's 49% of the book. You can find four of those prophecies were historically fulfilled, four of them waiting partial fulfillment, and 11 are waiting future fulfillment. So it's amazing. It's mind-blowing when you think that when the prophets were given their messages to their audiences, their audiences often, almost, almost all, maybe not Obadiah, but almost all of them, the focus wasn't just on God dealing with the people there and now, but he wanted us to learn throughout the ages and apply that to us today because those prophecies are still relevant. And a lot of those prophecies, especially related to the Lord's return, are about giving us hope that we have something better ahead of us and what that'll look like. So the prophets couldn't even imagine what their prophecies, the scope and the depth that their prophecies uh, were, that were given them were covered, their messages. So yeah, they were treated horribly, most of them. Uh, I think a few of them got away. Zechariah, his, the people accepted him, but um, church history records that he was killed later in life. Yeah. So yeah, they, they suffered. But uh, I think when we go up to heaven one day, these people, when we're talking about spiritual rewards and crowns, these people will be some of the most... Some of the most rewarded people will be learning from them because they are the champions of faith. And not because there's any more special than you and me. They're just the average guys. They, were, they weren't all priests. Some of them were. Amos was a fig picker and a yeah. shepherd. Uh, we had tax collectors. We had uh, oh, all sorts of merchants. And yep. these guys were, were, we had rich guys like Zephaniah, and we had poor guys like Hosea, all sorts of different range of people. Yeah. But yeah. so there's nothing special about them other than they put their faith and trust in God. And when we put our faith and trust in God, we can do, or the Lord can do amazing things through us as well. Yeah. One thing that I want to <laughs> underscore too, is as you were saying, the theme that I see, the overarching theme when I read about the prophets, whether it's the major prophets or the minor, just prophets in general, and even when we look at a prophet like Nathan, right? Because uh, Nathan, we don't have the book of Nathan, but Nathan was, in all of them, obedience. Obedience. No matter what it was, no matter what the consequence was. I mean, uh, Jeremiah, wasn't he the one that was lowered into the miry pit? That's where we get that verse from, right? 
I mean, think about it. You're in you're in this pit of mud and muck and mire, and that's where supposedly you think you're gonna die. They came and got him out. But the obedience, no matter the cost, and that is what we see the entire theme on all the prophets throughout scripture. Case in point, Nathan didn't know if he was gonna go tell uh David when he told David the words that the Lord had him tell David about Bathsheba and his sin. He didn't know if he was gonna get you know, his head cut off. Praise God that David was a man after God's own heart, very different than Saul, right? Saul was a man who had remorse, but not repentance. And we see that in David is the flip side, is David did not have that remorse like Judas did. And we see in Saul, he had true repentance. And so obedience, right? You could have the greatest uh, rewards in the sense of earthly rewards. Hey, you know what? Thank you so much for for bringing that to my attention. I see what you're saying. Or you could have the opposite effect, like Jeremiah and Daniel and Mesh, you know, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, where they were just for there were heavy consequences for obedience to the Lord. But again, obedience, and we see that all throughout Scripture. If you obey, when the Lord said, "Hey, you're going to have these blessings," to Israel, He said, "You're going to have these blessings if you obey Me, if you obey My words, if you follow My commandments, if you follow My law. This is what awaits you, and they're just beautiful blessings." <laughs> but the flip side of that, the list of curses. Like he said, if you don't follow me and you play the harlot and you go after foreign gods and you turn your back on me, these are the curses that are going to befall you. And it is a massive list. And read them. I encourage you guys, go read them. Read the curses. They're gnarly curses. I'm telling you, they are nasty, bad, just really bad things you wouldn't even think of. And exactly just as the Lord said, that's exactly what happened. And look. Bring it, do us a favor, Nathan, bring it, because that's one thing about the minor prophets. Yes, they were applicable to the past, but they're very applicable to present day. So give us an example. Talk to us a bit about how the minor prophets, some of the things that they said are very, very applicable and apropos to us today and the day we live in. Bring it to present day. Okay. Well, let me give you a historical prophecy in Hosea. Hosea 1, 4 through 6 says, Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that they will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So this was a prophecy about their king at the time, Jehu, that his dynasty would end and Israel would be destroyed. Well, it was historically fulfilled, 2 Kings 15, and chapter 17, as well as the prophet Hosea in chapter 10, prophesied that Jehu would fall. And history records that the Assyrians, Jehu's dynasty ended and the Assyrians destroyed Israel. So that's one of those prophecies that were fulfilled. But then there were prophecies that were made about the future. Let's say, for instance, Hosea 1, 10 through 11. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall gather together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, and great will be the day of Jezreel. So this was a prophecy that did find partial fulfillment in our day. May 14th, 1948, the two nations, Israel and Judah, which had long been dispersed, 
came together and the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, settled in the land and the nation became alive again. And so the God still, though, there is still a future fulfillment to that prophecy because the full regathering of the Jewish people hasn't happened yet, right. as Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 prophesied. That'll come when Jesus Christ returns at the second coming, and he will take the survivors of the tribulation, especially the Jewish people, and the Jewish people will be a priestly people in his millennial kingdom. So here in this, those two verses, there's a prophecy that didn't see its fulfillment until the 20th century, and now it still has a, again, the other mountain hill atop is the millennial kingdom. So, uh, brother, it just it blows my mind when you read some of these prophecies, how the fulfillments of them might not have come in their day, although some did at least some of the prophecies, but others were thousands of years in the future, and some even today why we live. Yeah, and that that's one thing that I, I love about, and again, you said this in the very beginning, you alluded to it in the beginning, one thing that reading the prophets in general, but also the minor prophets, it brings us hope. And I think that's a very, very, very important aspect of reading the minor prophets because God is faithful. That's another theme that we could see throughout, obviously, throughout the entire scope of Scripture. But as we read the prophets, especially the minor prophets, that's one theme, is God's faithfulness. Talk to us about God's faithfulness, not only through Scripture, but also as we see in the minor prophets, right? Uh, we got Haggai, and he he was faithful. The Lord was faithful to show exactly what he said he was going to show, and but he restores. He's also faithful, and he restores. So talk to us about that, because that brings us hope, especially in the day we live in, when the whole world seems to be imploding right now. It seems to be literally, not seems, it is imploding. It is coming apart at the seams faster than we could keep track of. There are a lot of people that, in your conference, case in point, right? There's a lot of hopelessness, but God brings hope. So the importance of that theme is faithful, he restores, and he gives us hope. Talk to us a bit about that as we read the minor prophets. Well, we got to remember, I think for most people, the reticence to accepting the Lord as their Savior and becoming saved because yeah. they, they don't trust. They've been burned too many times by too many people, yeah. and they wonder if they can trust the Lord. Well, we can trust the Lord because He is always, 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 always true to His Word. Always, always, always. And even though there might be times of punishment, the purpose, again, is for repentance and a restoration of that right relationship with Him. So, here, he's talking to Hosea, and he's using Gomer as an example of unfaithful Israel, but he's saying, hey, in the end times, there's going to be a restoration of that relationship. For instance, Hosea 2, 14 through 17, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me husband and no longer call me master, but I will take from your mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. Well, who worships Baal nowadays? The Lord through exile, two exiles took idolatry away from the Jewish people. Now, what do they have today is a lot of secular humanism, but during this coming tribulation time period, again, it will get hard on them, but many will return to the Lord and his son, Jesus Christ. Hosea 2.18, in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down in safety. What a promise. That's a promise about when the Messiah returns, he's going to defeat 
Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the human government, set up his own kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice, and it's prophesied there will be no more war during that time period, at least till the very end when Satan's released. No war. Isn't that a wonderful, I love that. Bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth. Amen. Can you imagine living in a world without war? These are the promises that the Lord gives us to give us hope for the future. Yeah, because, I mean, as we're seeing wars, rumors, threats of wars, we're seeing the escalation all around. When we read that, when we read things like that all throughout Scripture, we go, man, blessed be the day, and that day is coming. That day is coming. Uh, talk to us a bit about, I, li I love the book of Zechariah. Talk to us a bit about the book of Zechariah, because that also assures us of the coming Messiah, right? That there is an assurance there. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just, I'll throw it over to you. No, no, no. That's you've you've touched on probably, uh, and I'm gonna have to admit, Zechariah is probably the hardest book of the minor prophets to understand because there's a lot of visions that Zechariah yeah. was given of the future, and even in our time period, it's hard to understand them because they have future fulfillments. Uh, but again, uh, they they have just well. For instance, Zechariah one eighteen through twenty one. These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nation that lifted up her horn against the land of Judah to scatter. In other words, um, uh, four world powers uh, were prophesied at that time and they that affected Israel and they would be defeated. Well, history shows that Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, and Medo-Persia, these four horns yeah. were defeated in history. So when God says he's going to defeat your enemies, he's going to defeat your enemies, and he does. Uh, but then there's also wonderful prophecies about the future. Zechariah 2, 4 through 5. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. So what we're saying is that, that, that during the millennial kingdom, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to set up Jerusalem as the capital of the world. Uh, and it's so exciting because... There, the nations of the world will flood to see Jesus in person. He will share his, his teachings with them. And if they don't come, they'll send a little, he'll cut off the rain for a little while, it says, to, to get the people to motivate them because he wants to connect with them during that time period. But that Jerusalem will be a, a, a city that's far greater than it is now. Yeah. What, what's there now is a pale shadow of what the future of Jerusalem is. It sits highest over the nations. It sounds like there'll be waters around it, and the peoples will flow to it to see this, the Messiah, and the Lord's law will come out to the whole ends of the world. And Zechariah is a wonderful, wonderful book, because not only does it have a lot of explanation of the tribulation, that seven-year time period, like the flood that's coming to judge the world, but the aftermath is that that's when the Lord returns, defeats evil, and sets up his kingdom over this earth. So I strongly, even if you don't understand Zechariah, Hopefully, uh, again, my book will, will help you get other commentaries. Read it because there's so much hope in the book of Zechariah about the millennial kingdom, the future reign of Jesus Christ, that that far aspect to the near, far, and farther prophecy. It's the farthest aspect. Yeah, and also it is the largest of the minor prophet books, but it is, I'll be honest, it's like you said, it's chock full of hope because it talks about future restoration, right? God's faithfulness, God's grace and mercy. And we could see it displayed here 
in the book of Zechariah. These are part of God's characteristics. And the beautiful thing is, this is still future, but there's there's something else that I, you know, does talk about the tribulation. We see them trying to constantly divide Jerusalem, constantly trying to have, you know, a two, this whole two-state solution. Zechariah addresses that partly, right? Talk to us a bit about, because again, though there is hope here, there's also warning to those that might want to get in the way of dividing up what is God's eternal land. This is his, it's his, his name is stamped on it. And anybody that kind that tries to come in between it and thwart it, because remember, Satan opposes Christ. He opposes everything God. He is the master counterfeiter. Uh, he is going to be, uh, at some point, I believe, it's the, at the midpoint, Satan will indwell the Antichrist, just very much so like we see how Satan entered into Judas, right? The son of perdition. Um, that's my opinion. But there is a warning here. So tell us a bit about that, because I, I really I want to make this crystal clear. I want this out. Tell us about that warning about Jerusalem. Well, to answer your first point, uh, it is. It's the longest. It's 14 chapters. Uh, it is pretty meaty for supposed to be a, a minor prophet. Uh, but at the same time, there's 211 verses. You can find 17 distinct prophecies. That's 134 verses. 64% of the book of Zechariah is prophecy, both yeah. near, far, and farther prophecy. So, yeah. It is meaty. There's lots of visions, some difficult to understand. Uh, but again, as you read the New Testament, that will shed some light on the old. Um, anybody that messes, the, the Bible says that anybody that messes with Israel messes with the apple of God's eye. Amen. That God Amen. still loves the Jewish people. Un unlike replacement theologians who say that the church has replaced Israel, well, yeah, only temporarily, not, not forever. The Lord will always keep his promises, even if the people are unfaithful. The Jewish people are unfaithful. They were set aside for a time period. But, hey, we're living in a time period. Ezekiel, in two chapters, 36 and 37, prophesied that Israel would be a nation again. Well, here it is. It's a nation again. That the people would, would stream from all over the world. Half of the world's Jewry now lives in Israel. It says that in Ezekiel 38 and 39, after a future war called the Gog-Magog War, where God supernaturally destroys Russia and the Islamic invaders, which we're looking around and, and those coalitions exist even now, so we know it soon, that all the Jewish people will then gather from around the world and move to Israel. And they'll believe in God. They'll put their secular humanism behind and they'll believe in God, but not yet Jesus Christ as their Savior. By the end of the tribulation, either a remnant will believe in Jesus. And when they call on Jesus, they'll say, Baruch Habab of Shem Adonai, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the Lord is waiting for. He's waiting for the Jewish people as a whole to say that. And when they do, he will burst from the heavens. The armies will follow him, both angels and us, the resurrected, raptured church. And we will see Jesus defeat the enemies, the Antichrist and the false prophet. But for now, anyone that messes with Israel is messing with the Lord. And so when we try, I think sometimes some presidents in good faith, uh, others not in good faith, try to, to divide the land, then we will kind of get punched for it. Uh, for instance, um, if you look back when uh, George W. Bush back in 2005 pressured the Jewish people to leave Gaza, 
And Gaza was considered the breadbasket area of Israel at that time. And to pull all their people out and give the land to the people who call themselves the Palestinians there. Well, what happened on that day, the very day when that happened, Hurricane Katrina came out of nowhere and just devastated the country. God was God was giving us one of those Old Testament punishments saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. God bless Donald Trump for trying to bring peace to the Middle East. But part of his world's, what would he call it, the uh, greatest deal of the century involved dividing certain areas and giving it to the Palestinians. Immediately, Trump couldn't win anything for the life of it. And so again, the Lord uses our behavior towards Israel. He will punish us or reward us based on it. If I was the president, I'd be like, I'm not touching Israel. Uh, You guys deal with your own peace. We'll back you. But I'm not touching your land because it always, always, always affects us. And as you read through Zechariah here, uh, any nation, it says in uh, Zechariah 12 that Israel will be like a flaming sheath, uh, like a fire pot, and that any nation that comes against Israel will be broken. Brother, I think you can tell me if you agree or not, but I think America, the, the, the terrible condition we find ourselves in is from 30, 40 years of presidents trying to force Israel to give up their land. We are being smashed upon the rocks of Israel. Yeah, that's at the very top of the list. One uh, individual that talks a lot about this in great detail, and I would encourage you guys, I'm going to try to get him on the show, Bill Koenig. Bill Koenig is fabulous. And uh, he he talks a lot about these, uh, um, what do you call them? These, not similarities, but these uh, parallels. That's the word I'm looking for. Parallels between... Every time the U.S. gets involved in trying to divide the land, trying to do something of the sorts, always followed up by some sort of natural disaster, political disaster, economic disaster, at all, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you know what? Do we learn our lesson? Nope, we don't learn our lesson. We just keep going down and pushing even harder. If anything, it's like, hey, kick that clutch in, put it in fifth gear, and man, pedal to the metal. And you know what? It's not going to bode well. We see what's happening. I believe we've hit terminal velocity. I've said that before. I don't think there's any coming back from where we're at. Uh, When the Lord has been so gracious to us, very much like we see here in the minor prophets, very much like we see Jonah, who's a minor prophet who was sent to Nineveh. And I mean, think about it. Talk to us a little. I know we we don't have a whole lot of time left. But folks, before I keep going... um, Send in your questions. Make sure you put in questions. Um, Carly is sending me the questions, so I have them all there. And when we get to the q and I'm going to get to the questions, even though you'll see them um, go past in the live stream chat. But send in your questions now because we will get to some questions at the end. Uh, and we want to get to those. So, um, so yeah, talk to us. I, I lost my train of thought, but I was talking about Jonah and Nineveh. And, and talk to us how wicked the Assyrians were, right? In, well, in Nineveh. Talk to us about some of the, the gnarly things that they would do and how God, that's probably why Jonah, and I see myself sometimes in that. You know, again, I see we're told to pray for those in leadership. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you I have a very difficult time, and I begrudgingly sometimes pray for some of our leaders, and that's not the right position before the Lord, all right? So I'm just being flat out honest with you. I'm not perfect. So I could identify with Jonah, but tell us why he was so opposed 
to seeing the Ninevites come to come to Christ. I mean, turn to God. Okay. Uh, can I address one uh, issue please. with Zechariah first? Please, I think we were, we were on a roll there. I really Go like to it. bring up this point. So the prophecies in Zechariah 14, 1 through 3, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, the tribulation. Yep. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. What we're basically hearing is a, is a section of Armageddon, uh, the end time period. And you want to know where America falls. You know, I think you're right. I think, I mean, I hope because we're still young enough. We still have kids. We yeah. want to see America come back. We want to see our nation return to the Lord. We want to see all the, the nations that once called themselves Christian. Russia used to consider itself a Christian nation. I'd love to see Russia come to I think right now, many Russians know the Lord better than we do. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it says all of the nations are going to be gathered against Israel. Why? Because one day the Bible prophesies there will be a world ruler who the Bible calls Antichrist. John calls him that. And he will rule a one world empire. So will Russia end up taking over the world? No, because we know Russia is destroyed in the Gog Magog War. Will China take over the world? Well, no, because we read in Revelation that it'll be one of the kings of the East that will rebel against the Antichrist. All the nations will come against Israel one day. So a huge prophecy there, uh, Pablo, because it means that that Israel will stand alone with nobody to protect her until, as we read in verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. It won't be the American army. It won't be the UN. You know, it will, won't be Israeli's army. We will see Jesus Christ return and defeat those nations and defeat the Antichrist who rules over them and Satan who possesses them. Uh, brother, that that if you're a Christian, we are going to see that happen. Yeah. We will be there. The Bible tells us in Revelation that we will be there with Jesus Christ and watch him defeat all the enemies of Israel and, and of God. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's a prophecy that directly affects each of us. Yeah, and and the beauty the beauty of that is that we won't have to do a thing. I don't believe we will. Jesus is going to be the one to get all the credit, all the glory for it. We will get to witness it. You know what I mean? And I think that is that is definitely a beautiful thing. One thing, let me ask you, now that you kind of, we rabbit trailed just a little bit. We'll get to Jonah in a second and to the questions. And I want to end with Malachi. I want to end with Malachi. I think that's very apropos. It's the last book here in the Old Testament leading into the intertestamental period between the old and the new. But tell us, um, you know, you're talking about Israel will stand on its own. It says that all nations, all nations will turn against it. We, we read also in Ezekiel, one of the major prophets, that in the battle of Gog, Magog, there are those that say they protest the invasion, and that's all that they're able to do is protest. Now, I know that some see the U.S. in that. I personally don't see that um, at all. And even, let's say, even if you can see them in the young lines of Tarshish, all they do is protest, which means we're essentially nothing. Um, but talk to us a little bit about that, because at one point Israel will stand all on its own. Ezekiel 38, 39, we've got a protest. So um, tell us a bit about that. 
Okay. Well, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Ezekiel's not one of the minor prophets. Sure, it's one of the absolutely. major prophets. Yes. But in chapters 38 and 39 is the the longest description of any prophetic battle in the Bible, even more than Armageddon. It's not Armageddon. Yeah. And it's extremely detailed. I have a, a complete sermon and a, a long article study on our website at ChristandProphecy.org. Just go in the search and look up Gog and Magog. And you can watch my hour-long teaching and, and go through the articles that that teach you all the different aspects. So that's a, a whole interview in itself. But but what Pablo is asking is verse 13, chapter 38, verse 13 says, Sheba Didan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, well, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty? And so forth and so on. So what it's saying here is that that if you read a little earlier, Russia and the Islamic nations are going to come and try to destroy Israel because the Lord, the leader of Russia, is drawn to Russia like a hook for the purpose of their destruction. And what's the hook? The Bible doesn't say. Well, Israel has had no real reason for Russia to take any interest in coming against it until recently, interestingly, because Russia, 40% of their economy used to be selling oil and natural gas to Europe. Yep. Well, that's not happening. So Europe has turned not to America, interestingly enough, because we've stopped production as, as much as we should. They're turning to Israel, who found this Leviathan gas find. And now they've, they've some of the earliest uh, shipments are going up, that hook. So now Israel is becoming a direct threat to the Russian economy. Now, for this type of battle to happen, is I think, believe is after the rapture, because America and China are, aren't, aren't players in this. But it says Sheba Didan, which are the Arab nations today, yeah. and the merchants of Tarshish. Tarshish in the Old Testament was considered the farthest, the ends of the earth. It was it was your Great Britain or, or England. It was it was your Spain and our young lions. Now the young lions. Well, what is that? Some interpret young lions to be their colonies, the New yeah. World. Yep. So if this might be an indirect reference to North and South America, saying, "Oh." Well, Russia and the Islamic world, you're coming against Israel. All right, we're not going to do anything about it, but you know we'll object a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, that that could be a prophecy where you can find America. Yeah, but I personally, this is just my opinion. I'm not dogmatic. We won't be here. I don't see that. I don't see the U.S. there. And again, like I said, even if it, Mark Hitchcock uh, wrote a book, I believe it was called along along the same vein. He got the title from uh hal Lindsay, but it's called the late great united states and it's a really good book and he addresses that topic uh is the u.s found in bible prophecy he does a really good job at outlining how um he doesn't think so but he talks about this specific subject as well which i think is really good if any of you if any of you want to dig a little deeper you could get his book it's called the late great united states it was one of his one of his first books well early on books he wrote a lot cash list was another great book that he put out as well. So um, I have another one he just put out um, right here called The End, and that is a great book too, talking about Bible prophecy. So a lot of good resources out there when it comes to the issue if the U.S. is found in Bible prophecy. I know we kind of got off a little rabbit trail, but yes, Israel will stand on its own. It will stand completely on its own. Why? Because the only one that's going to deliver Israel is going to be God himself, period. God himself. He will be the one to get the glory, and they will turn to him. They will turn to him. Amazing sometimes the things that it takes for us to turn our eyes to God, right? And uh, 
it's best if we if we read the word of God. I, hey, listen, each one of us has a stubborn streak. I don't care who you are. Each one of us has a stubborn streak in us, and God has a way of getting rid of that stubborn streak. And I always say, Lord, please be gentle. I'm really wimpy that way, you know, um, because uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to be that. I don't want to have to go through, you know, hellfire and brimstone to finally realize, you know what, Lord, you were right. You were right all along. And uh, it's it's a hard road. It's a hard road. And I've I've had plenty uh, of school of hard knocks. I've got plenty of degrees from the school of hard knocks. So, all right. So back to Nineveh. Tell us about the Assyrians. They were wicked, wicked people. And I want to get to the questions. So we don't have to spend a whole ton of time, but I want to bring that, uh, you know, because it is. It's hard some for me. It's hard to pray for those that are just doing some wicked stuff. And there are some really wicked things that are coming out of this country and affecting and infecting the entire world. Well, people wonder, why is Jonah so adamantly against bringing the gospel to, to Nineveh? Well, we have to understand Nineveh, which would be today the northwestern Iraq area, yeah. was the big empire just before the, um, the Babylonian Empire. But you got to think of them, like, why was the Ninevites or the Assyrian army so bad? And the modern equivalent was, remember ISIS a few years ago, yep, yep. that took over a huge swath of the Middle East, murdering, raping, crucifying, killing, uh, totalitarian. Uh, they marched through and took everything. They were terrifying. And that's what the Ninevites were to the Jewish people. The, the Assyrians were so cruel when they attacked that they would take the people into slavery. They would strip them line them up, tie them together. They take needles and either put the needle through the nose or through the skin of the back and then link the people and make them march the hundreds of miles up to Nineveh. Yep. And most of them, you know, a lot of them would die and, and off they go into slavery. They were horrifically evil. Matter of fact, some of the, the uh, prophets were shocked that God would use Assyria and then Babylon who they considered more evil than themselves to punish themselves. Now, God said, I'll use them, but then I'll also punish them yep. for their evil as well. Don't worry. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, that when Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he had very good reason, because that would be like walking either down to the, an inner city street gang, the most feared you know, cartel boss, and, and telling them, hey, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you, or going to ISIS and expecting that they're yeah. going to treat you well I mean, they were terrible. So yes, uh, very much. But what happened? Jonah went and, and really his message was five words when it, you break it down into the original <laughs> Hebrew. And the king instantly says, oh my goodness. And he repented. And he said, all you, my people, they repented. And so for 150 years, the Assyrians were back in God's good graces until they fell again. And that's where you get the prophet Nahum and Nahum's prophecies about the eventual demise of Assyria, which the Babylonians caused. So yeah, they were horrific. But even if the most evil people you can imagine can turn to God, that means that nobody's without excuse for, for the opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And as as you were talking, I'm going to show a, uh, a website right now, and I'm sure many of you guys are going to recognize this. Just really quick, I love what you said. There is nobody that's out of reach for the Lord. And again, here is that theme that we see all throughout Scripture all in the prophets, and especially in the minor prophets, is grace, redemption, restoration. 
And we see that in the life of the Ninevites. We see that in the life of Paul in the New Testament. And if we go present day, I think of, as you were saying, you know, going to a hardcore gang. I think of the book called The Cross and the Switchblade, you know, and you got the story of Nikki Cruz. And uh, Nikki Cruz was your hardcore gangbanger in New York. And uh, he was in one of the most feared gangs um, in New York. And it was God working through an obedient man. We know him as Dr. David Wilkerson. He was super young. He went into the inner city. And God used David Wilkerson as a means to reach this hardened man called Nikki Cruz. And I'll let you guys go and... um, either read the book, watch the movie. It was a great movie back in the 70s. That's Nikki Cruz here. But praise God for his redemptive power. Praise the Lord. And so that's why I love the minor prophets. We don't want to pray for those in, in leadership. We don't want to pray for those that wrongfully use us or you know uh, uh, abuse some of the, the, the generosities that we, we, we show. But we're, our responsibility is to do that because you and I don't know who the Lord is going to reach. We don't know that. At the end of the day, God does. And our responsibility is just to be used as mouthpieces to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a day and age, today especially, where I've said this plenty of times, Doc Reagan wrote the book, Living on Borrowed Time, but we are really living on borrowed time. And it's so important for us to turn and head towards Nineveh and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those all around us. I wanted to end with Malachi, spend maybe a couple minutes, and the only reason why I wanted to end with Malachi is because um, the Lord tells Israel how much he loves Israel in the opening of the book of Malachi. It's the first two, three, maybe even four verses. And he goes on to tell them and condemn their priests and the faithlessness of the priests and the religious system. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that is because we're in a crisis right now in the church. Church in America, by and large, not all the churches, unfortunately, by and large, is going apostate. And that's prophecy in and of itself. So talk to us about the importance and, again, the parallel between Micah's prophecy, faithless priests, and how he rebukes them, and what we're living and going through today. And then we'll just take questions and we'll close with the best part, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, Malachi, again, it's the very last of the minor prophets. If you're trying to get to Matthew and didn't quite reassure you, that's how most people remember Malachi. Uh, It's it's short. It's only 55 verses. You can find 10 prophecies. Uh, Of those 55, 22 of them are prophetic. So 40% of the book is Bible prophecy. And you get some very interesting prophecies because, okay, so the Jewish people— had been refined by the exile, and a mm-hmm. small remnant of faithful return to Israel. And through Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, Haggai and Zechariah, they rebuild the temples, the walls, they restore the city, right? But their grandchildren and great-grandchildren are, again, apathetic about the Lord. Yeah. So you've got Malachi, who most likely it looks like he was a priest. He's at the temple, and the people are bringing the sacrifices. Now, the purpose of sacrifice was a temporary covering for one's sin, And again, to restore that relationship with the Lord, that waiting for the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And there are certain rules of what the sacrifices had to be. 
because they all pointed to Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate sacrifice, the Passover lamb. They'd be without blemish and a year old and no broken bones. And But what did Malachi see the people doing? Blemished animals, broken bones. He even said they, the people were, some were stealing animals to sacrifice. <laughs> they just didn't care. So Malachi and the people are having this back and forth discussion. And, and but we're, of course, God's speaking through Malachi and, and God's saying, hey, you know, I loved you. And the people are saying, well, how have you loved us? Yeah. And Malachi says, I've done all this for you. Well, what have you done for us today? The people just don't care. And brother, I think that's a perfect example of the world today yeah. that we know there's a God. We know, yeah, he loves us, but do we care? We don't care. We just don't. And so I think the church today is very much like the book of Malachi. It's just going through the motions. It's just meeting. It's just doing social. It's 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 disobeying the Bible. When the Lord says the marriage should be one between one man and one woman for life, and you have churches doing gay marriages and supporting yeah. homosexuality, which is God calls it abomination or or abortion or pride or uh, lying or stealing. <laughs> That that is not follow, being the people of God, being that example. Yeah. And so this is where we we see in Malachi four one. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. On that day which is coming, shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root or branch. So all of the people who live in evil against the Lord are promised that one day God will deal with them in justice. He will deal with them. But for those who follow him, Malachi 3, 18, 16 through 18 promises, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I will make them like my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So really, just like in Malachi's time, 2,400 years ago to today, we still have that, that decision. Do we choose the Lord and follow him and be eternal beings who love and follow him forever and are blessed by him? Or do we reject him? We live for this short life period and live for our sins. And one day we'll be burned up in the lake of fire and hell. That's the decision that everybody must make before they die. Yeah, that's right. One thing that I think is so beautiful of scripture. And again, as I've said this before, uh, I do graphic design. I love art. So I'm a visual learner and word pictures just stick in my mind. And, I, you know, as, as you just said, Malachi says uh, the word picture is a burning oven. A burning oven. And that's something we don't want to be a part of. And that's one of our, that is the main calling for every believer here on earth. I don't like it when people say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Every single person that calls himself a believer in Jesus Christ is called to share that same hope with other people. So call it what you want, an evangelist. It's telling people the good news. That's what an evangelist is. And whether you do it to some uh, a homeless person on the street or a coworker or a family member or even your own children as they're growing up, you are an evangelist. And so the most important takeaway of this entire thing, of this entire podcast, as always, is the hope of Jesus Christ. It is who, what did Jesus do on that cross? We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. That is, as I said when I did that solo podcast, the resurrection is the pinnacle. It is the foundation of the Christian faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd be no better than every other religion. He would have just been a good man. But praise God that he defeated death and he rose on the third day and he is alive. He is 
almighty God, beginning and end, Alpha Omega. I mean, he is omniscient, omnipotent. He has so many attributes. So what I want to do right now is, Nathan, there are there's a lot of hopelessness out there. But as believers, our hope is in Jesus Christ, and we have a glorious future waiting for us. And maybe there are those that have walked away from the Lord. Maybe there are prodigals out there. Talk to us. I'm going to turn it over to you, and then we'll take the questions. But this is the most important part. Tell us about the hope only found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and what that means. Another prophecy of Malachi 4, 2 through 4 says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, the Lord Jesus, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You said you like imagery, Pablo. It's a, yep. it, little cows. Uh, here in Texas, we have a lot of uh, cow farms around the ministry, and you drive by, especially this time of year, there's lots of these tiny little you know, baby calves and where the bigger cows are just kind of sitting and eating, the little calves are hopping and skipping and jumping and playing around. And the Lord says, when you're in him, in other words, you have that proper respect, that right relationship, because you've repented of your sins and turned to him, then your life is like those little calves, skipping and hopping and laughing. Life is good. Even though all this trial and tribulation that we live in now, uh, life still can be good because we're in the Lord, but our eternal life. That life we're in the millennial kingdom, seeing him rule and reign with peace and righteousness and justice. And then after that, when he creates the new heavens and the new earth, and, and we're in the eternal state, we have that right relationship. But you can only have that right relationship with Jesus Christ when you repent and turn to him and, and surrender your life to him. That's basically what he's doing. So like all the prophets that we read, the, the, their message to the people was, repent of your sins turn to me, put your faith and trust back in me, and then you will become children of the Lord once more. And that, that applies to the church as well today. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible promises that you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. And so you make that step, just a simple prayer. If your heart is ready, you've surrendered your life to him, then pray from your heart, something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a, a sinner. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I rebelled against you. I Please forgive me. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And Jesus will forgive you of your sins. The guilt will be washed away, and you will inherit eternal life forever. Amen. Amen. So listen, um, this isn't something to be taken lightly, and I want to make sure that I underscore that. It's not just some repetitive prayer that you make. you got to mean it from your heart because uh, God sees the intentions of the heart. So, um, listen, we're living on borrowed time, and uh, I always say time is friend to nobody, and time waits for nobody. And uh, listen, whether it's graduation via death or the rapture, either one, one of those is coming. I'm praying the rapture will come soon, and by the looks of things, it's any moment. That's the beauty of the doctrine of imminency. It could happen any moment. Nothing needs to happen. So, Nathan, thanks so much. Listen, uh, let's just take two or three questions, and uh, we'll let you go. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, cool. Uh, question for Nathan. This is from BP and E. In Zechariah chapter 1, it mentions that the red horse will ride before the white horse. Is this how it will happen during the tribulation? That's a good question, by the way, because 
Um, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard, are these the same horses? Are they different horses? So uh, really, really good question, BPNE. So we're talking, I actually should probably turn there. Zechariah chapter one. I was in Malachi. So here we go. Zechariah chapter one. Vision of the horses. Okay. Go for so it. the vision of the horses, chapter one's uh, seven through 17. Yep. Uh, you got, this is a, a fallacy that people see the horses that are described in Revelation chapter six and say, okay, well, there's, there's these four horses. They're, they're not, they're different. It's a, it's a different prophecy. It's a different, so you can't compare the description of these horses uh, with the horses you read about in Revelation. But it says, I, I saw by night and behold a man riding on a red horse and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, which is a mix and white. So they don't even match the colors of the four horsemen of the apocalypse as they're known. So the angel of the Lord, uh, which is the title of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament, explained what these horses were doing. He says, we walk to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Then the Lord proclaims his zealousness for Zion. God was returning to Jerusalem with mercy to build his house. A time of peace and a rebuilding had come to Israel. So it's a prophecy really about Israel and about Israel's future. It's it's not the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the, the color combinations are... are are not related to each other. Yeah, I agree. And we, we need to remember oftentimes we'll see the color and color represents, for example, war, famine, uh, um, devastation. We got the black horse, which was famine. We've got the pale horse, which is death and disease. So the colors mean something, but they don't always necessarily go hand in hand together. Um, was a really good question, by the way, really, really good question. I, I mean, that, I've known people who won't teach Zechariah because the visions are just too complicated. And you read the theologian, when I was doing the research for this book, quite a number of theologians are falling over themselves trying to explain them too. So don't feel bad. Uh, Zechariah's visions might be some of the more difficult or most difficult sections of the, in the entire Bible. Yeah. But I will say this, just because it might be difficult doesn't mean that we can't understand it because we got to remember that Paul was talking to the church of Thessalonica, these were young baby Christians, and yet he was giving them some pretty deep theology, and to him it didn't matter. It was, hey, this is the Word of God. This is what God put on my heart. You guys can understand this, and so we could apply the same thing whenever it comes to a book in the Old Testament, in this case in point, Zechariah, that we could apply that same exact um, uh, method, I guess, would be the whatever. Yeah, it's not it's not impossible to understand, but yeah, but Revelation, for instance, is easy to understand for the most part, even though people are scared of it, because it will give you a symbol and then it'll explain what the symbol is, or you can find that symbol usually in the Old Testament. Uh, Revelation is like the 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 final test of for the semester, it's the final exam because you've had to read all that other stuff to best understand Revelation. So. Uh, yeah, uh, you're right. Absolutely right, Pablo. It's not, I'm not trying to discourage people from reading Zechariah. Uh, just know that some of his prophecies, uh, when it concerns the visions, aren't interpreted. Yeah. They're just given to us. Yeah. And so how they're applied is can be a little challenging. Yeah, no, I totally agree 100%. This is the beauty of the Bible. If the Lord gave us the Bible for us and in one week uh, we got it, we totally understand everything. <laughs> What's the point? We could study the <laughs> Word of God for lifetimes end on end. And we could still be left with so much that we would still need to learn. So that's the beauty of the Bible is we could spend an entire lifetime. And that's what God wants. He wants us, he wants us to do deep dives into the Word of God 
and fellowship with one another and share with one another because that's how we grow as the body of Christ. And that's the beauty of it. So, all right, let's get another couple and we will let you go. Uh, what time is it over there? What are we looking? Two hours plus? What is it? Three, 342? All right, 342. All righty, let's see. Blood-bought and spirit-taught question. At the very end of Daniel chapter 12, what do you think is happening in those 45 days? Okay, so she's talking about, I believe it's the the uh, 70, is it 70? No, yeah, se- 70 I, days, right? There's, uh, what is it? 75. 75 yeah. days. So it's broken up into period of 45 and 30 days. She's specifically asking about, 45 days, I think it's about the temple cleansing and the judging of the nations, but I'll let you go ahead and take see what your take on that is. Oh, sure. So uh, Daniel 12, 11, it gives us 1,290 days from the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. But then it gives us another number, 1,335. So what you end up here past the 1,260 days between the Antichrist desecrates the temple till Jesus returns is you got past the 1260, you've got a 1290, and then you got a 1335. Well, when you subtract the 1335 from the 1260, you get 75 extra days. So what we know is that after the Lord returns and defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet and sentences Satan to the bottomless pit, that before his kingdom officially begins, there's a 75-day gap or a 75-day interlude. Well, the Bible doesn't say this is what happens during those 75 days, but there's a few things that we can extrapolate. For one, when you read Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it's the sheep goat judgment. So what the Lord will do is he'll send the angels out to gather whoever's left alive on the planet, and there's not many. And he gathers them all in the—this is the tragedy of the tribulation. The entire population that survives the tribulation fits in one valley, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And there the Lord will judge those people who survived the tribulation. It says that the those who are his sheep, in other words, that accepted him as Savior, will live on into the millennial kingdom. But those who've taken the mark of the beast and follow Satan, rejected Christ, they're considered the goats, and they're sent down to Hades or torments to await final judgment called the great white throne judgment and be cast into hell. So we've got that that will happen during the 75 days. And also, the planet's a disaster. I mean— yeah. Uh, the, no, almost no fresh drinking water. The, the seas are dead. The lands are dead. The grass has been burned up. Uh, multiple, looks like meteors or comets have hit the earth. There's been a nuclear war. There's so much sediment in the air that the days are only two-thirds of their length. It's dark the rest of the time. So the Lord's got to clean up the earth. Now, if he could rebuild, uh, create all of this in six days, I'm sure he can clean the earth up very fast. But, but so those are at least the two things we know of. Uh, as believers in Christ, we're supposed to rule and reign with him. That's likely when we will be given our assignments. Say, Pablo, uh, you're back to Argentina, man. You are now the president of Argentina, <laughs> and you will help rebuild that nation. So you go and do that. And Nathan, uh, you've always wanted to rule, rule Montana. Off you go. You're you're in charge of Montana. And we'll be given our our, our, our jobs and our abilities. You know, we'll be teachers and law, uh, law keepers because— the only law that comes is, is Christ's law. So there's an awful lot to do to set up a kingdom that Jesus judges and then cleans the earth and then assigns us our duties. And only 75 days is quite the miracle. Yeah. Um, so question is, 
Talk to us. Well, you know what? I'm not going to ask that because we're just going to get go down another rabbit trail, and I want to get to at least one or two more questions. So strike that. Thank you. For, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just to add on to this, but let's just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, let me see. Um, Annette Hamilton question. Uh, this is for you, Nathan. When you get discouraged, what verse do you go to to get back on track with our Lord Jesus? That's a great question. Well, every, I have a special needs son, and every night since he can't speak, I read him a Bible verse uh, from a, a bunch of cards we have. And he, he doesn't understand it, but you know, we'll read and pray. And I love it every time we go through that card list, when I come to Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You know, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that we connect to the Lord through prayer and through his word, that means what we're standing on will be forever. And in a hundred years now, in a billion, in a quadrillion years from now, the word of God will still last. So when it looks like the whole world's falling apart and, and you get very discouraged over that, we can trust in the prophecies that God's given us that his word will always come true and we will always one day be with him and we will be in his kingdom one day and he will defeat evil. Evil's not going to keep going. It will be defeated and the Lord will reign on this earth and we will serve him and, and come to our heavenly rewards. And so Isaiah 48 to me is very powerful. Amen. Amen. So you know what? We'll end on that because I think that is probably the best place to end, the best encouragement. You can stand on the Word of God. This is something you could take to the bank. The Word of God is, I mean, the Word says He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is it right here. This is what we got, and this is the best thing. And trust me, there are days too where, Man, I just get laid flat out. There's so much happening all around the world, all around us, and we can think of a million things, our families, you know, those in need, those, our kids, our grandkids, and there's so much that's on our minds, and the enemy will use that as a means to distract us, to discourage us, to bring us down, and essentially we become ineffective for the kingdom of God, and so it's important for us to stand on the Word of God, and I'm with you guys. I'm with you. I have those days too, just like Nathan does, just like you, like every one of us. But praise God for times like this. Praise God we could come together. We could use technology. We could fellowship, learn about the Word of God together, and it just helps us another day, another day. A good Again, Ron, one of my best, best friends in the Lord, I love him like a brother. He is one of those friendships that comes along once in a lifetime. He went through Sears training. And I asked him, he was a pilot, and Sears is that survival evade, uh, I forget what else. It's like an acronym. There's a million acronyms in the military, but he went through Sears training. It's crazy the stuff that you have to go through in Sears training. And I said, dude, how did you get through Sears training? And he said, I just kept thinking, it, you know, get through this moment, get through this moment, just get through this moment. And that's what it was that just keeps you going. Get through the moment, get through the moment. And so listen, I said this on the last podcast. One of these days, this will be, I'll have my last podcast. Nathan is going to have his last Christ and Prophecy show. It will be, there will be a last to all of this. And the beauty of all that is that we're going to be reunited in heaven. And we're all going to be able to fellowship together. What a beautiful time. What hope we have for those of us in Jesus Christ. So Nathan, 
closing words, and then we're good. Any closing words? Uh, two things. One, I'd like to know your verse, not to put you on the spot. And two, I think God's going to make you his podcaster. So you're not done yet, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you one of my favorite verses, and I keep thinking, I've said this before, and some might say, well, this is so cookie cutter, but you know what? This is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 18 says, therefore comfort one another with these words. When things are getting tough and trust me, they do. The fact that I know the Lord said that I can take comfort in the words that he said that he's coming back for us soon, and whether it's it's through rapture or through graduation for the believer, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eternity will be spent before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and alongside each and every one of you. And to me, that brings comfort. And the Lord says it again if you drop down in chapter 5, I think it's around verse 11. Comfort, comfort, comfort. And the Lord just comforts me. Obviously, there's a slew of other Bible verses in all the scripture that just bring comfort. But anyways, um, Nathan, dude, this was great again. I love having you on. You you hold a place near and dear to my heart, man. I always say this. You were, um, I believe, one of the first ones on that came on. Nobody knew who in the world I was. And you know what? Praise God that you came on and you shared Jesus Christ. You talked about the rapture. We talked about the Lord in the Bible, and it was it was wonderful. So thank you once again. We'll have you on hopefully not too long from now, brother. I just love how the Lord has magnified your message, and he's spoken through you. And to see this, your channel take off like it's been, it's good to be one of the uh, early early guests. I, I can <laughs> feel like I have a an investment in your ministry. So God bless you, brother, and all of you tuned in. Uh, come, we invite you to ChristinProphecy.org. Uh, we'd love to interact with you there and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, folks, again, I hope you guys were blessed, encouraged, challenged. Every time I have someone on, I know I am to get into the Word of God. And listen, folks, I'm not perfect, okay? There is no one perfect, only one, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Put your hope, faith, and trust in Him alone. Until the next time, remember to keep looking up because our redemption draws near. And I'm going to give my shot at the outro. We'll see if it happens. Until the next time, Lord bless each and every one of you. Nathan, just hang tight for a little bit. See ya.